0: You're saying yes to all. Yes. And when you were raising that capital, no one. No, no one, no I'd like one to in finish, your firm. Though.
1: I'd like to finish because there's a different piece to that. What we were looking to do was to raise capital after we completed.
0: You were raising capital.
1: Excuse me, please.
2: Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. I'm here, of course, with Laura Conway.
0: Tough day out there.
2: Sure was. Today is Monday, October 6th. It is now 6.02 p.m. In New York. In New York. That clip you just heard was from Representative Betty McCollum of Minnesota, giving it really hard to Richard Fuld. Fuld is the former CEO of Lehman Brothers, who watched the old firm collapse. Turns out that was not the worst thing to happen to Richard Fold recently. CNBC reported today that right when Lehman Brothers was announcing its plans for bankruptcy, Richard Fold went to the company gym to do have a little workout and a guy there punched him and reportedly knocked him out. They were so angry. Um, we, th- we thought, CEOs of investment banks got more deferential treatment than that. The U.S. Treasury Department today released its initial plan for fixing this whole mess. Uh, They they started to let us know how they're going to spend that $700 billion check they gave. And we also learned who's going to be the boss of the project. It's Neil Kashkaria. Thirty-five-year-old Wunderkind, who works for Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson now at the Treasury Department, and he worked for him before at Goldman Sachs, where Paulson was the CEO. Um, meanwhile, it has been—it's been an ugly day for stock investors, that's for sure. Uh, the stock fell eight hundred points before skirting upwards again and ending 360 points down. I generally don't like talking about the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Not my favorite index. I don't think it's the most useful. But a day like today where it falls below 10,000 and goes back to its 1999 level, it's hard Mm. not to talk about it, isn't it, Laura? Um, Everywhere was down. Asian markets were down sort of similar levels. In Europe, it was really ugly um, after a weekend of just grim economic news and a total failure of the European countries to to reach a unified approach to solving the crisis. Stocks there fell far more than they fell here, 9% in France. That's a lot. John Macy is deputy dean of the Yale Law School. He's the deputy to the dean, I guess. Is that what that means? He's uh, kind enough to walk us through today's events. First off, I just want to jump in uh, since it is the thing in the news. We're talking at four twenty, so the New York Stock Exchange just closed. Um, to, for the people who who haven't seen it, it was a pretty gruesome day for stock markets around the world, huh? It was incredible. I was in Italy
3: one week ago, and the attitude over there was, "Well, there may be some you know echoes here, but, but this is basically a U.S. subprime." Uh, problem and 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 central bankers there were were of that kind of a containment view and we see how quickly the mo- world has moved out from under us in such a very short period of
2: time. So t- this morning people woke up in Asia and started selling stocks very quickly. Um, I mean we had a horrible day here in New York, but but as you were saying, we actually had a good day compared to some other. Foreign stock markets. Yeah, I mean it is incredible that um, you know we have caught a cold here in the U.S. and it seems to
3: be giving the Europeans pneumonia. And I think that the reason for that is that um, as as disorganized and disjointed as as the U.S. response was, has been to our financial crisis, um, the the there's much less optimism even about uh, the Europeans' ability to l- launch a sort of concerted. Governmental response on a European as opposed to a country wide basis.
0: Wasn't the European Union supposed to make responding to this kind of thing easier? Well, the problem that we have
3: in Europe is that, well, the short answer is yes. The problem is that the people thought it was plenty, including me for that matter, uh, it was plenty just to form a European Central Bank. And they have a European Central Bank that does on a Europe wide basis what our Fed does, which is to conduct monetary policy. The difference is that in the U.S., our Fed is under the aegis of the Department of the Treasury, which does fiscal po- policy, and when you know, there, there's a huge emergency, those policies can be combined, which is what we, what we saw with the recent statute, you know, the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act of 2008, the so-called Paulson Plan. But in, in, in the, the fiscal policy in Europe, all the uh, the, the treasuries are separate, and based in the, each individual European and country. I want to just
2: cut you off, John, because we we are in a jargon-free zone here at Planet Money. Okay, and uh, I and in my view, fiscal policy and monetary policy—that's jargon. That's not All something right. people who aren't deputy deans of fair enough uh, 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 necessarily know. And I um, I'm going to take the lead on this. Monetary policy is what the Fed does, what Ben Bernanke in this case does, and Alan exactly. Greenspan used to do. And to cut it down to the bare minimum, it's basically they get to decide how much money there is. And fiscal policy- Wait is, a minute.
0: How much money there is? That means they move the interest rates up and down, right? They,
2: they, Correct. It, but the process by which they move it up and down, they actually put more money into the market or take more money out of the market. Okay. okay. Fiscal What policy. they do by their actions- That's they, monetary. They expand and
3: contract the money supply. That's exactly right. Right. Now, let's do fiscal policy. Now, fiscal
2: policy- Fiscal
3: policy in a word is tax. Yes. And in another word, our spending uh, is spending and um, uh, in modern, uh, modern fiscal policy is spending ceilings. So we would have been unable to, you know, we would have been unable to do this Emergency Economic Stabilization Act of 2008 without raising the amount of money, raising the size of the U.S. budget deficit.
2: Right. You almost talked about monetary policy. We were talking about fiscal policy. Right. So, and so when
3: so the you central see, Bernan- can't do that in Europe. The central banks, you know, they, 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 you need the the treasuries to, in in all these countries to act in a concerted way. They don't have a single institution that can do what our treasury did, which is basically blow the roof off
2: spending. Right. So, so in the U.S., you can actually see Ben Bernanke and 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 Henry Paulson. Normally, these two jobs would be very separate. You'd want to keep them separate. I mean, they coordinate from time to time, but the idea is that the central bank will be the Fed will be an independent of politics organization and the Treasury Secretary is obviously a political appointee. Um, I mean, I guess the Fed chairman is too, but that let's not get into that. Um, whereas in Europe, the Ben Bernanke of Europe is Jean-Claude Trichet at the European Central Bank. He sort of is in charge of all the euro. So he, he oversees the money of all the eurozone, but then each country has their own Henry Paulson, their own exactly. finance minister
3: and each country decides on how much they 're going to tax people, what sort of internal budget deficit each country is going to run and um, uh, and, and whether uh, you know that 'll be expanded or contracted that 's done separately from the european central bank
2: great so that 's what 's got you scared the fact that they are not responding uh, in a unified way right that it 's just going to take them longer. To coordinate, it's it's kind of ironic
3: because the political will there, the disposition towards activist intervention, is actually much greater. But the transaction cost of getting everyone together is also higher. So, you have you have the you know in a way a greater will uh, and consensus ideologically than you have in the U.S. But. But it's much, you know, who's going to pay what is a very difficult question. And And getting French and
2: German and Italian finance ministers to all agree. Right, exactly. That's tough. All right, let's move to what I'm holding in my hand, uh, which is process for selecting asset managers, um, the interim guidelines for conflict of interest. Basically what I'm talking about is what the Treasury Department issued today – this is their, their – uh, the, the most we've learned yet on how they are going to spend our $700 billion. I count in total one, two, three, four, five, six pages, although two are pretty small, so I'm going to call it five pages. Okay. Um, that That's not what you normally expect in a government report, huh, five pages?
3: No, no, but, you know, we're moving fast here. The original bailout plan itself, which – blossomed into about 480 pages, started out at three. So I'm sure this will have the same same metastasis will apply to this. What are you seeing in there? Well, you know, it's exactly no surprises. You know, basically, they're going to be a bunch of people in the business on Wall Street who are going to, you know, be buying up on behalf, as agent for the government.
2: Wait, wait. I want to stop you right there. That, that was one of the sentences that grabbed my eye. This is the third paragraph. Um, financial agents. Asset managers will be financial agents of the United States and not contractors. That seems like a very important distinction, but I don't understand it.
3: Okay. So the basic idea, in other words, is that uh, these people will be part of the government. Right so in other words uh if you think about somebody who does work for the government they can either be in independent contractors or they can be uh, uh agents performing work directly on behalf of the government and and and, that, and these people are in the latter category What is,
2: what does that mean So so this is going to be a guy does that mean they all work in DC and they get No
3: No it's a legal it basically means uh, that
0: uh, that
2: I can't sue them. Exactly.
0: <laughs> hey, I like this in a word business. Or <laughs> yeah, this is very a a helpful. <laughs> in a word
2: with John Macy. Um, and, but is So that means that there's going to be a trading desk or several trading desks in New York that has been a private enterprise trading desk for years. It'll look the same. They'll have their Bloomberg terminals and it'll be a bunch of, you know, guys – New York guys who are right. long-term traders, but they are going to be official agents of the U.S. government.
0: Right.
3: They take off their green visors and put on a red, white, and blue visors, <laughs> and they are deputized like the guys in the old Western movies as marshals or sheriffs or whatever of the U.S. government.
2: Wow. Is th- does that trouble you?
3: Well, the trouble is that, that it's a kind of a revolving door, right, because they're going to be sitting next to people. They're going to be buying assets— on behalf of the government spending our money to buy these assets but they're also going to be selling assets to the government
2: uh, the same guys
3: well pr- well maybe or the guys sitting across from them or that's what not so clear in other words there there there, there is this you know they have to this is what we're working out with a conflict of interest policy, we meaning the country, not me personally. Um, you know to what because anyone that could conceivably be one of the people that's going to be buying up these assets is going to be somebody in the business, which by definition means they've got some of this toxic waste in their portfolios, so they're going to be looking to buy and they're going to be looking to sell, which means they have every incentive to put these, make these
0: prices pretty high. See, this brings us back, to me, to what has been one of the core problems in this whole debate, and that is that no one involved in it can agree on anyone else as a neutral actor. We look at Bernanke, say, you know, you're working for Bush, not a neutral actor. We look at Paulson, you used to work for Goldman Sachs, not a neutral actor. And here we have the people who are carrying it out. Again, we question whether they can be neutral actors.
2: Now, I'm going to – so I'm now holding in my hand a different document. This is the Interim Guidelines for Conflict of Interest. Right. and. I got to say, I found this about as unimpressive as, as 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 I was surprised. So then we go down, and here's what here's how we're going to solve it. Where appropriate, Treasury may obtain non-disclosure agreements and conflict of interest agreements in advance of supplying an offer.
0: Non-disclosure by whom of what?
2: I think that means you have to sign a document saying if you find inside information that could make you millions of dollars, you shouldn't use it.
3: You shouldn't use it, and you should set up uh, – the idea here that's not very well articulated is that you'll set up kind of secrecy walls or com- walls of confidentiality within these firms so the people who are buying and, and you know have their formulas um, – uh, who are buying for the government have formulas, and they don't share those with the other people in the firm who could use them to make a lot of money for the firm if they had that information.
2: How much could someone make if they really just said, "Hey, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make a fortune off of this"? If if they decided to abuse their conflict of interest, or
3: oh, well, you know, we're talking about a lot of money. You know, certainly in the in the tens of millions, maybe maybe in the, you know, I mean, without any sort of constraint whatsoever, I'd go probably in the hundreds of millions.
2: What is, what's your gut sense or your your professional expertise? Does does signing a non agreement mean? Well, boy, I I would I would take a hundred million dollars, but I guess I just can't. I signed that non agreement. You know, in 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 my view, it it
3: depends on, you know, the integrity of the person who's your counterparty? Because these things, there are a lot of honest people in the world, and they will sign these, and they'll understand the purpose and intent, and they will live up to the spirit of the document. There are a lot of other people, though, who aren't quite as, as upstanding and, and honest and have, don't have quite as much integrity. So, you know, and, and these things are extremely difficult to monitor, uh, and and so it really depends on you know, the good faith efforts of the people you're dealing with, you know, how, how how honest they are, how much integrity they have. Very difficult to monitor.
2: That was John Macy of Yale Law School. Um, we also talked to a money trader named Tom Corona. He works in lower Manhattan and keeps his eye carefully glued to the Bloomberg terminal to study what's happening in the credit markets, the markets that have been freezing up and causing so much panic. Um, He's been following uh, the moves in Europe over the weekend, the political moves. Now, he, he takes a different approach from John Macy. John Macy thinks Europe could learn a lot from the U.S., while Tom Corona goes the other way. He thinks America could learn a lot from Europe.
1: The Irish government last Tuesday came out with a plan to uh, uh, form a liquidity backstop for all of their five top banks and basically guaranteed all deposits, institutional and retail. Uh, so anybody depositing money in a uh, money market fund at a bank or in, as, into a CD, uh, the government guaranteed it.
2: So here we have that, right? A uh, hundred thousand dollars per ca- per person, and then it was raised to two hundred and fifty thousand.
1: Correct. What they've done to prov- you know, to move liquidity along in the institutional side, so lending would start, is guaranteed all deposits for any dollar amount. Uh, and that's where the bulk of this money is lent in uh, in the interbank market. So um, they're saying,
2: no ma- if you have ten million dollars in the bank, we're covering it.
1: Correct. No- and, and, and institutionally, uh, these banks take deposits uh, uh, n- uh, under normal circumstances, which we're not in right now, of uh, five hundred million to a billion on one trade. Uh, that's where the bulk of the liquidity is in the banking sector. Uh, there is none right now. It's all been short duration, one month and in. And uh, the Danish banks and the German banking system followed their lead uh, last night. And uh, we're being told that Italy is close to follow. So we would expect all the EU member bank uh, countries to uh, provide some sort of liquidity backstop for their top uh... money center banks and then you'll probably have the u k follow uh... canada japan and eventually the u s and it just serves why these other bank uh, the countries are following is if you have a choice to deposit five hundred million dollars in in the e u and all of these in major internet remember we're talking about the top twenty five to fifty Money center banks around the world.
2: And money center just means a major center of financial activity. Like New York, London. For
1: France, that would be BNP, Banca Nationale de Paris. Uh, For for Italy, it would be Unicredito. For Australia, it would be Australia, New Zealand Bank. United States, you use Bank of America. I mean, these are all the top 25, and they all have branches in all the major money centers, whether it's London, New York. So if you're an investor and you want to just hide money in a a safe CD and your choice is out of these 25 banks, a bank that has a sovereign guarantee and one that doesn't, the other countries are going to be forced to follow this model. Otherwise, monies will eventually come out of their banks and into those
3: banks.
0: In the United States, when we face this credit crunch. We got everybody together and we argued about it for a couple weeks and we passed this $700 billion bill that says we're going to buy up bad assets and we're maybe even going to buy some equity stakes some shares right in the banks themselves. In Europe they're having a true financial crisis and their response to it looks really quite different from ours.
1: It is. It's completely different and uh, whether you agree with Paulson's initial plan, which I don't, I actually think the European model right now in the longer run is going to work out much better uh, they 're not throwing uh, massive amount of bailout money at the market they 're trying these liquidity facilities like the Fed is doing and now, with this bank intervention, I really think you know that that really costs nothing other than the government guaranteeing the deposits. Now, you can look at the banks and make sure you know the deposits are invested correctly and the money is held in safe assets are so sort of uh, treasury bills, what have you? Similar products, uh, but uh, you know the banks really use these, you know, deposits, and they make loans with them, and uh, that's what gets the system working. And until the money starts to flow again, uh, you know, they can buy all the distressed the securities they want. Banks need to be lending, uh, two A seven funds and money market funds need to be buying these assets again. And until that happens, nothing's going to change.
0: So we're about to see two competing ways of solving a bank crisis side by side, the European way and the American way.
1: Yeah, I think when it's all finished, uh, you'll see uh, uh, the the, the U.S. will have uh, really not much of a choice but to to also provide the same liquidity backstop because as as the EU does this to all their banks the UK is going to have no choice but to uh, do it for their banks and then Japan for theirs and I just think it'll just you know bleed all the way down and eventually the US will have to do the same otherwise monies will leave the system and go to the 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 larger uh, um, European banks
2: and finally we called up listener David Greiner of Birmingham Alabama he had a good question
3: uh, today, Jim Cramer got uh, quite a bit of attention for coming out and saying on the Today Show that people should sell all the stocks, uh, that if, if they think they'll need the money in the next five years, they should sell off all their stocks. He was very thorough, and he specifically was talking about stocks. Um, but I guess my question is, first, is he right? And second, isn't this really a perfect example of yelling fire in a crowded theater that we've been hearing so much not to be doing?
2: Adam? Well, uh, so first off, I'm going to say, as I always do, we are not a personal finance show. We do not give personal financial advice, and you, you know, wouldn't want it
0: if we gave it, and yeah, you wouldn't want Mm-mm. it if you
2: gave it. We work for public radio. Look, I would say you know the, what what most I've read a million personal finance books, I've talked to a lot of experts on it. Stocks as a general rule, no matter what's going on in the market, should not be a place where you have your money that you need in the next few years, three to five years. Uh, As a general rule, stocks – you should give stocks some time to deal with rapid ups and downs. Uh, My understanding is in the history of stocks in the U.S., there have been five-year periods and I believe a few 10-year periods where stocks have gone down for that period of time – my understanding is there has never been a 15-year period or a 20-year period where stocks have gone down. They've always gone up when you give them that long. So in my case, I'm 38. I'm just putting my money in the. Personally, I'm not making this as advice. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I'm putting my money in my uh, 401k, or in our case, 403b, because we're not for profit. Um, every paycheck, and you know, I'm actually very happy that I'm buying stocks at a discount these days. That makes me. That makes me happy. Um, I think as a general rule, no matter what's happening in the market, if you really know you're going to need that money in the next three to five years, you you know, it might make sense not not to have them in the stock market. When markets go way down, people panic and they sell like crazy.
0: Is Jim Cramer helping them panic?
2: Yes. Jim Cramer, in my view, is helping them panic. I think that a reasonable plan a reasonable portfolio would be one that has some more conservative investments and more aggressive investments, something to work out with your personal finance advisor. And it should be based on your age and your, you know, your sort of comfort level and your goals. But the general idea that the market has just lost in the last week, you know, whatever it is I, I don't have a,
0: 15,000, 15,000 million 15,000
2: million points and you're going to sell now and wait until it's going up I mean that's just a recipe to sell low and buy high I mean come on that's never a good idea um, and and, uh, and all right I'm just going to come out and say it don't listen to Jim Cramer Thanks for the question, David Greiner. That is the Planet Money podcast for today, October 6th. Send us your questions and let us know if you'd like us to call you. We're at npr.org slash money. You can also send us emails at uh, planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson here with Laura Conaway. Take care. Take care.